Praise God. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I don't want to start a new trend uh, and get myself in trouble, but if you're sitting in the back, you can stay in the back. I'm not picky. So, fine. I, I get kind of claustrophobic when people get in my bubble, so I, I understand sometimes you just like to have a little room. I'm, not, I'm, I'm cool with that. Praise God. Amen. I want to just share with you tonight something that uh, kind of been bouncing around inside of me a little bit and uh, maybe something along the line along the way here the Lord will speak to you um, and usually the bishop has his session so you guys usually get out last so I'm going to get you out first I'll make a deal tonight praise God amen so I knew I could get one amen on that thank you brother Jolin praise God um, there's so many different and I hate to use the word, use the word, but within context, you, you'll understand. There are so many different characters in the Bible um, that can be relatable to us, um, just in the sense of what they went through and the nature in which they dealt with it. And there's so many different uh, scenarios, aspects, emotions, difficulties, struggles that is covered in the Bible, not just in principle, but in practicality, uh, in so many different ways. We can even go all the way back to the very beginning of man, how man dealt with sin, all the way through all of the Old Testament characters, and even spilling into uh, the New Testament characters. But there is one particular person in Scripture in my opinion, that sticks out more than others in his relatability. And, and I know sometimes women struggle a little bit with, with things because there's a lot of male characters in the Bible. But I believe what he went through is very relatable to all of us in this room because we can, we can identify with some of the struggles that he had. And he was very open with um, his struggles. And that was the Apostle Paul, because of all the New Testament people, Paul obviously being responsible for a big chunk of the writings of the New Testament, he was very unique to you and I because of the fact that unlike Peter, unlike James, unlike John, who had a personal relationship with the man Christ Jesus because they walked with him, Paul, like us, never knew the person of Jesus. He didn't have the advantage of a Peter who had the opportunity to stand on water face to face with Jesus. He didn't have the opportunity of, of a John who actually got to lay his head on the chest of Christ. And so Paul has a lot of the same relatability to us uh, because of the fact that he didn't get to experience a lot of things firsthand. And there was a lot of things that, uh, that he had to uh, learn by listening and sitting down with, with the apostles and letting them share their experiences. But he didn't have those 
personal experiences with the, with the tangible uh, body of Christ. And so because of that, I feel like instead of that being a drawback, it actually became a great blessing to Paul. Because I feel like of all the New Testament writers, Paul had a, 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 a passion for relationship. He had a passion, not saying that Peter or John and the other ones didn't, but Paul in particular had a passion for relationship because he was catching up to where the others had already been. But in that same sense that a lot of you can relate to, not only was he trying to learn about Christ, but he's also trying to shed some of the, the indoctrination of what he came out of. A lot of you, that, especially the ones of you sitting here today that came out of a Catholic background, even though you might have not have been a, a practicing Catholic, but you grew up with that mentality, a lot of times it's hard for us to, to take that mentality and lose it. We take, tend to take that into our, our New Testament walk with God. The earning of things and, the, and, and, and all of that that goes along with that. But Paul... He, he was very open with us in his internal struggle. Not just with everything going on with what he was taught up and brought to understand and as he transitioned out of that and walked in the newness of life. And, but he had a lot of internal things inside of him, like a lot of you and I here today have, that, that he wasn't afraid to share. And one particular passage, it really step, stands out exactly how transparent... He was, and it's found in Romans chapter 7. I'm going to read it to you in the New Living uh, Testament just because I feel like it's a little clearer to our understanding. He says in verse 14, So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself for what to do, what for, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Can anybody say amen to that? But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree with the law's good, that the law's good. So I'm not the one doing wrong, it is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is, what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Amen, amen, and amen. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life. Now listen, this is, he prefaces this. And it sounds like he's about to give you this great, rich, life-altering principle. I'm okay. He says, I've discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Wow, thank you, Paul, for helping us out. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me. That is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin. 
that is still within me. Wait a minute. Paul at this point was baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says when you are baptized with Christ, old things passed away, all things made new. But Paul, a baptized Christian filled with the same spirit you and I have, says, but there is another power within me. Paul wasn't possessed. He said there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. And then he just lets us all know how he's feeling. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is? In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Now, I can honestly, I can relate a lot more to that than I can to the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Maybe you are at the spiritual pinnacle where you can relate more. I relate more to what Paul saying. That most of the time, I live more frustrated than I live victorious. That most of the time, I'm more upset about what I'm doing than what I'm not doing. That I spend more time giving myself pep talks of trying to tell myself what I'm going to do and then spend more time beating myself up because I didn't listen to my pep talk. And the problem is, I spend more time talking to myself, and it cuts into prayer time. So then I just continue this, where I'm chasing my own tail like the dog out in the yard, because I never can catch up to it. And the problem is, you run around long enough, you get dizzy, and when you get dizzy, you just want to sit down and say, forget it, I can't do this anymore. But there's like, there's something in all of us that, that God keeps in us there, there's this there's this internal thing that's that's left in us and all the newness of Christ and everything he does there's something that's left in us that that you and I have to make a conscious choice every day to go to war with that Paul said this thing in me is warring at my mind so you're going to have a war whether or not you want it or not. And Paul said, this thing is fighting against me in my mind. And the whole purpose of this thing in me is trying to pull me back from where I got pulled out of. And the problem with that is as it begins to, uh, in our life, as, as, it, as, as this kind of internal War tends to go on between us. There is something that is a uh, component to life that, in my opinion, is one of the one of the key components 
to how we go forward in Christ, how we, uh, how we deal with our own personal lives, how we deal with situations, how we interpret things. And that is one word, and that is perspective. And there's a lot of perspective that changes and evolves as we get older. That's a natural perspective. The same perspective you have as a child, it's different. In fact, I came across this. I've used it before, so if you've heard this, please just bear with me. It's just a list of, of, uh, of things that were written down uh, over different age, ages uh, to show how perspective changes with age. I'll read some to you. It says, you can't hide a piece of broccoli in a glass of milk. Age seven. I like my teacher because she cries when we sing Silent Night. Age seven. When I wave at people in the country, they stop what they're doing and wave back. Age nine. When I, when I get my room the way I like it, mom makes me clean it up again. Age 13. Though it's hard to admit, I'm secretly glad my parents were strict with me. Age 15. Silent company is often more healing than words of advice. Age 24. Brushing my child's hair is one of the greatest pleasures in life. Age 29. Wherever I go, the world's worst drivers have followed me there. Age 29. <laughs> If someone says something unkind about me, I must live so that no one will believe it. Age 39. I've learned that you can make someone's day simply by sending them a little card. Age 44. Children and grandparents are natural allies. Age 46. The greater a person's sense of guilt, the greater his need to cast blame on others. Age 46. Singing Amazing Grace can lift my spirit for hours. Age 49. Skipping down, I said, I've learned that making a living is not the same as making a life. Age 58. If you want to do something positive for your children, try to improve your marriage. Age 61. If you want to do something positive for your children, try to improve your marriage. If you want to do something positive for your children, try to improve your marriage. I'm going to say that one more time because I think I'm skipping here. If you want to do something positive for your children, try to improve your marriage. Life, life sometimes gives you a second chance, age 62. Skipping all the way down, it says, I've learned that I still have a lot to learn, age 92. There is a natural kind of progression that we all go through in life as perspective changes as we grow older and life experiences expound and and we understand a little more uh, of how the world works and we kind of lose a little bit of the childhood naivety and we start to to get a little more cynical as we get older because we realize not everybody there is good and there's there's a lot of things in life that aren't very pleasing and we begin to get a lot more perspective and, and part of that is good obviously the the maturity that we all go through as we age changes our perspective for the good. But there's a whole other side to perspective that I just want to spend a few moments on tonight. And, and I want to look at it from this perspective. Is that my perspective becomes my reality. All right. All 
But reality doesn't necessarily mean truth. Let me say that one more time. My perspective becomes my reality. But my reality doesn't mean it's truth. And this is how a lot of us, we get in conflict with things and we we start to, to clash, not just with ourselves, but with others because there's this constant war with our perspective because our perspective is telling us this is reality. But just because it's your reality does not mean it is truth. But you see, the problem, especially with us and God, where we kind of have this clashing of two styles is, is that the only thing we as humans know how to do, because we're only privy to the present and remembering the past, we have no ability to go beyond right here. So the only thing we know how to do is have our perspective shaped by where we've come from. You see the world based on how you were nurtured and natured and, and nurtured coming up. If you grew up in the city, you see the world differently. If you grew up in the country, you see the world differently. It's like the kid. It's, it's like the 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 the, the joke where the where, where the mom and the dad. I mean the the, mom, the, the dad and the, and the young son who grew up in the country, never been to the big city, decided to go go to New York City, the big the Big Apple, and see all the sights. And so they, they get to the city and this is like, they're just mesmerized by all the cars and all the people and they've never seen anything like this, never been off the farm. And they finally go to one of those Empire State buildings with, with, with the elevators and they, and, they, and they get on the elevator and they're about to stand there waiting and, and before they could, it wasn't the right elevator and, and, and this old, older lady gets on. And she gets on the elevator and the doors close. And about two minutes later, the doors open and this young, beautiful woman steps off. And the boy looks up at the dad and says, Dad, what is that machine? How did it do that? And the, the, the father looks at his son and says, I don't know, but go get your mother. I'm putting her on there. Because perspective tells us what we perceive to be reality. And the clash comes is because I only know my reality and my perspective because of all the things I've been through and all the stuff there has shown me what, what, what the perspective of life is, which becomes my reality. But the problem is God's over on this side. He's standing in truth. He's not standing in your perspective. He's standing in truth. And he's trying to tell you the reality is not coming from perspective. The reality is coming from truth. I'll give you the perfect illustration. You've heard it a thousand times. Gideon's perspective was that of a coward. Gideon's perspective was of survival. Gideon's perspective was one of, leave me alone, 
be quiet. I've got to get this done before someone sees me so I can rush back home and feed my family before the Midianites come and steal what I've got. God shows up over here and says, Hey, you mighty man. Gideon looks over here and says, Hey, who are you talking to? Because in his mind, his perspective, it was, the reality was, I'm nobody. We, I, I've said this before. I believe sometimes there's a lot omitted in Scripture just because of sake of time. There was a long conversation there that we missed out on. I, I, I guarantee you. Because along the line, Gideon probably said, hey... You're mean to be talking about so-and-so that's down there. I mean, that dude is a bad man with a sword. He's got it sharpened. He knows how to use it. That's who you're talking to. And the angel says, no, it's you. Okay, I know you're sent from God, but let's, re let's just play this out. Where am I? I'm hiding. I didn't look very brave, does it? Have you noticed that, that I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to, to stay hidden? Because I'm afraid. I don't even know where a sword is. I can't even use a sword. And he says, no, 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 no. You are a mighty man. Of You're a mighty man. Wait a minute. In fact, Pastor uh, David was just talking about that. Being a son. We don't believe it. Because a lot of us, why? Because we're in the perspective of where we are. And God's over here trying to tell us where we're. He sees us to be. And now all of a sudden, now there's this conflict going on between what the, the destiny and what God sees as truth and the reality of what Gideon sees here in the middle. And so finally God gets so frustrated with him. He says, listen, if you don't believe me, go down and listen to the enemy. And let the enemy tell you what's up. And Gideon sneaks down to the enemy. And the enemy is whispering and talking. And they're afraid because of this guy named Gideon. And he goes, is there another Gideon? In I mean, what? I mean, I'm Gideon Williams. Is there like a Gideon Smith or a Gideon Rogers? Or I mean, is there another guy named Gideon? And suddenly, because he began to fight and use truth, truth began to change reality. And when truth changes reality, it then changes perspective. Because when he began to believe truth... When I believe something, I begin to act on it. When I act on it, I become it. So even though he probably didn't know how to use a sword, all of a sudden he began to hear the shoulders go back a little bit. Head goes up a little bit. Wait a minute. Maybe there is something to all that. And now we see all that. And then we go from hiding behind a wine press afraid to charging down a hill with 300 dudes against 100,000. With a bunch of lights. You go 
me just let's all go find an army though over there in the Middle East and chase them with a bunch of flashlights and see how strong you feel. How did he go from all huddled up, biting his nails, to being willing to take on 100,000 men with 300 candle bearers? Because he started believing truth. And when he believed truth, it became reality. And when reality begins to change, it changes my perspective. See, what we try to do is we want our, our perspective to change truth. Then work like that. Truth is constant. Truth doesn't change. What is true today will be true tomorrow. Truth is forever settled in God's word. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. Truth is settled. If I said it, I believe it. I cannot lie. It's settled. You can't change truth. I've said this a thousand times to people, when, 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 especially new people, when I'm trying to teach them a Bible study, share new things with them. I always say this. It's my little uh, clause in the contract. I say, listen, you can ask any question and you can challenge truth as much as you want because if it's truth, it can withstand examination. I said, I may not know how to answer everything you ask me. I may have to go find the answer, but I'm telling you, Truth will always come to the surface because truth doesn't change. I said, I'll never tell you an answer. Well, you know, I can't explain it. It's, it's not really in there, but you need to believe it anyways. Well, I'm never going to say that because that's not truth. That's opinion. And so we have this kind of conflict that goes on in our lives because we are shaped by perspective. And you see, the amazing part about that, and those of you, forgive me, who have been in that in, my, in, in the second part of the class I teach downstairs, let me just share, steal something from that. The devil can only predict our future based off our past. He only can predict our future based on where, he, where we've come because that's all he has to work with. But the problem with God is He can't base your future off your past because with Him, He don't have a past. So God can't work with where you've been. He can only work with where you're going. But the problem is you can't work with where you're going. The only thing you know how to do is work from where you've been. I've had this war in me. Warring against my mind between where I've been and where God's taken me. And God's calling those things that are not as though they were. And I'm calling the things that were as though they still are. And the people that live in this tug of war are the people, when Paul says you are more than conquerors, these are the people that walk around defeated, not because God's not able to bring us to the world of conquerors, but our past and perspective says we're not. But God's over here saying, this is the truth of my word. This is the perspective. So you know what? He gave us a trick. To use, I'm going to give you a little trick, the same, you, the same one he used on Gideon. Do you know he told us this? He said that Satan is the father 
of how many lies? What's that word? All. What does all leave out? None. In fact, it went a little farther to say not only is he the father of all lies, but the truth isn't in him. Now, forgive me for those of you that heard me speak on this. But you know what that means for you and I? this. That means if I'm not going to believe God, I should believe the adversary. But here's the point. It's not to believe what he's saying because what he's saying is not true. So not to believe what he's saying, but if he can't tell the truth, brother Jim, if the truth is not even in him, that means everything that comes out of him is a lie, right? So truth is the opposite of lies. So if the devil tells me something, the only thing I have to do is flip it around. And I take the lie from the adversary and I use it as truth. Because when he says you're no good, you'll never be any good, God can never use you. That's all ten of me that says God must love me and God's going to use me. Because if you're telling me that, that can't be true. He says, you've done too many, you made too many mistakes. You've had too many failures. God can never, ever, ever get up. God can never forgive you of that. God can never let you get past it. You've done too many things. You've, you've been too many places. You've got too much baggage. That's the time to shout and say, God must be doing something in my life. Because if you're telling me that, that must mean that God is working something in me. perspective and we have to choose as we grow in Christ we have to choose what side are we going to believe what are we going to believe are we going to believe truth or are we going to believe what we perceive to be truth my wife and I was having, we were having this conversation the other day regarding some people that we know and, and, and in the context of, of, of them uh, discussing them and, and they, they're, they're, the, the few times we've had communication with them, they're, 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 their perspectives has changed and all kinds of stuff. And, and, and we, were, we were talking with each other and trying to, trying to, just bounce things back and forth of how, how do you even approach someone like this? And the bottom line came down to there's really nothing you can do in that life naturally. It's got to be a supernatural work because when someone has convinced themselves through their perspective that in reality... They're okay. You can share truth with them all you want. But there's a spiritual bias. What did the Bible say? If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, whom the God of this world hath blinded their eyes. The famous, the, the, I say, used to, hate to use the word famous, but the, the very well-known prophet of God, T.W. Barnes, said this. He said, a sinner can't even choose to be saved. 
until the blindness is first removed off of him. I mean, there's nothing more frustrating than sitting across somebody at a table and sharing with the Word of God, a Bible study, and it's just coming out. I mean, it's, you're even amen in yourself. It's so good. I mean, you're like, I want to buy my own tape. This is good stuff. I mean, and you're just laying it out there. I mean, it's so good that, that a kindergartner could get from it, and at the same time, the highly educated. I mean, you're just laying it out there. And it doesn't matter how much you're talking, they just look at you like, I don't get it. And then you say, well, what about this? And you go, I mean, you're just going into the, and they look at you like, eh, I don't get it. What is that? Blindness. Their reality is not based in truth. You can share truth all you want, but until that is broken off them, you'll never see it. And so the challenge for all of us tonight is that we have to choose to walk in truth. Not in the truth of X238, the oneness of God. We're not talking about that. Talking about the truth and who we are and who God's called us to be. Why do you think God spends so much time working on us? I mean, sometimes I, I think I'm better off coming to church wrapped in yellow tape. Because that's how I feel most of the time. Because that's, you know, I'm a forever project in God's eyes. Why? Because in working on me, it changes my perspective. And the more my perspective changes, it changes the reality. And the more my reality matches up with truth, the closer I get to becoming what He's called me to be. That's why He gave us grace. That's why He gave us the blood. To go and erase the past, but to heal the past... Because through erasing the past and healing the past, it changes. Because God is love. Right? John said that God is love. But then there's people, there are even Christians that say, I'm not loved. Now, is that truth? No. The truth is God is love. But the perspective says in reality, I'm not loved. Do you know what? I finished with this because I promise I'd get you out early and I'm going to hold my promise. But you know what? We often say that we were created to worship. And there are some truths in that. There are truths in that. That we were created to worship. But... The Bible says that there are angels that are worshiping. So it wasn't like God was starred for worship. I understand. We've gone a little farther. I preached about it, taught about it. I know there's a little more depth to that because, you know, they don't have a choice. We have a choice, yada, yada, yada. But I, I, I saw this the other day, and, and, and I, I want to close with this thought. Is that John the one that was probably as close to Jesus as anybody in, 
as far as a, a personal, tangible relationship. When he came to describe God, he used one word. Not God is powerful. Not God is, not God is mighty. Not God is uh, saving. Not God is healing. He described it as God is love. But you know what the amazing thing about love is? In order to truly understand love, love usually is built in a cycle. As I love, I'm loved back. There's a cycle. And the Bible says this. We were created, Genesis 1, 27 says, we were created in His image. So that means He created us like He is. What is the one thing all humans have in common? We all have a need to be loved. Where did we get that from? Where did we get that from? The single cells that floated out of the ocean? No. That came from the Creator. Because you know what? His number one desire is He created us to love Him. Because the angels can't love. The angels can worship, but they can't love. We can love. I love him. Why? Because he first loved me. And I begin to understand that and begin to see that it begins to change my perspective of why he created me and who I am. When that begins to happen, it begins to change the reality so ultimately truth can match reality. And when truth begins to match reality in your life, that's when you're able to stand and become what God has called you to be. And when truth matches reality, you're willing to, as they say, charge hell with a water gun because you know, if God's for me, who can be against me? Jesus, you see each person in this room tonight, you know our frailties, you know our shortcomings. God, as we all identify tonight with the Apostle Paul, most of the time in us, we know what's there, but it is so hard sometimes to do that. And there's this war inside of us that's a clash back and forth. It's warring in our minds. And Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would give each one of us in this room grace to walk as you called us to walk. Grace to be what you've called us to be. To know who you are, but more importantly, to know who we are in you, what you've called us to be. God, every one of us tonight that carries things from our yesterday that challenges our perspective of today, I pray, God, that your healing would come in our lives. Whether it's tonight or in the future, God, I know, Lord, your desire is to make us whole. Not to make us whole so that we can... So we can feel perfect, but to make us whole so you can, we can finally see who you've made us to be. God, give us the grace to walk in this path you've called us to be. And Lord, for those of us that are in the construction project that feel like it's a never-ending cycle, give us the grace, Lord, that even sometimes we, we get weary, we get tired. Give us the grace that says, Lord, don't stop until you finish what you've begun in me, that I can become what you've called me to be. 
We pray all this in your name. We trust in you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. God bless you. Make sure when you go down there, you wave to the people that are still in the class. Tell them we're out before you. Ha, ha, ha. God bless you.